Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. College football is almost back. Uh, Carson, I watched so much football this week. The NFL is back. College football is in full swing. We are at the point now where we are planning activities. We are planning uh, baby baths. We are planning everything in this house around football. I'm glad my wife's a football fan because uh, everything has to be planned around uh, the pigskin on the TV. No, no doubt. I was actually just talking with family this week about, you know, when we're going to come see them. And we, both of us were like, well, let's check the football schedules and I'll, I'll get back to you. We got to, we gotta, can't be messing that up. You know, I, have you ever had to attend a wedding during football season? It just astounds me that people actually get married during football season. Yeah. I, uh, several years ago, Labor Day weekend, which is the opening weekend of college football season had to leave an Oklahoma state game after I think maybe the first quarter, I think it was like a two thirty kick and it was a six o'clock wedding. So I went to the first quarter and then had to drive to Chickasha for the wedding. Uh, but they were sports people. And I think what they said was, uh, well, we figured since it was a three day weekend, we wouldn't inconvenience anybody since they have the extra day anyway. So they had it on the first Saturday of college football season because uh. not under, they didn't know. They didn't even know that that would be a day that would massively inconvenience uh, almost all of their guests. So, yes, I have. I take it that's something that you have coming up in the near future? No, I just I see it posted on social media, and I've never attended one, I don't think, if I recall correctly. I don't think I have. I think I hang out with like-minded folks, and that's just a, a bad idea. Because, like, you can have it. Like, I get it if you don't care about football, having your wedding then, but, like, Half of your reception is going to be on their phone watching OU or OSU or what name your big game of the week. It's really going to just take away from your own wedding. I've never understood that logic. Yeah, my sister wanted a fall wedding, and she asked me, she literally asked me, should I have this on a Saturday or will that be a problem? And I said, that will be a problem not only for me, but probably for a lot of people. I would do it on a Sunday. And she said, okay, that's what I was thinking anyway. And she got married on a Sunday in October and it was fine. It was very pleasant. Nobody missed OU. Nobody missed OSU. Um, did miss some NFL games, but you know, that's not quite as big a deal in the state of Oklahoma. So I think that's about your only out if you're doing it in this state on the weekend in the fall. And that saved her some money because, you know, everyone wants a Saturday wedding. So, you know, just move it around. I got married on Friday. No big deal. Nice. Nice. Uh, We got South Alabama coming up this weekend. Another home game for Oklahoma State. It's going to be fun to watch them back in Boone Pickens Stadium. Before we get into all of that, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast as always. Uh, head to head to Chris's this weekend, Saturday before the game. You need some fresh Oklahoma State gear. You know the place to go. It's Chris's. I uh, ran into somebody the other day, said they stopped by there and bought some gear. So we appreciate that. So thanks to Chris's for sponsoring the pod, as always. Well, Colby, uh, Mike Gundy and company hosting South Alabama. We all remember that game they played at South Alabama a few years ago with Mason Rudolph, James Washington. It was kind of a kind of an ugly game but South Alabama is a respectable team and Mike Gundy has said they're the most physical team they will have played thus far I don't know if that's as much a slide on Arizona State as it is praise for for um South Alabama but what do you make of the opponent coming into Stillwater yeah this is a pretty good South Alabama team they lost to Tulane to open the season Tulane is a good football team they're a good football program they've really found some solid footing uh, down there in New Orleans. Um, last week, they beat up on, I think, Southeast Louisiana. But what interests me about South Alabama, they've got a 35-year-old quarterback, kind of like Alan Bowman. No, he's not 35, but he spent four years at Toledo. Now he's in his second year at South Alabama. And he set a bunch of records last year at South Alabama after really what was a pretty middling career at Toledo. 
Last year, he had, I think, 28 touchdowns to 12 picks. He was very solid. This year, he's got three interceptions already in the first couple of games. So I don't know if that's a regression to the mean. I don't know if that's because two of those were against Tulane in week one. So I don't know if that was something Tulane was doing. They were playing from behind, negative game script. You're throwing the ball more. But I think the veteran quarterback for two, uh, pardon me, not Tulane, for South Alabama could be an advantage depending on how this game gets started. If Oklahoma State is leading and South Alabama has to start airing it out, maybe Oklahoma State could force him into some turnovers. But if the opposite happens, if South Alabama gets ahead early, like we saw Arizona State do last week, uh, Arizona State didn't get far enough ahead, really, to force Oklahoma State into a negative game script where those quarterbacks are having to air it out and potentially make mistakes. But if South Alabama could get a lead early, that could be problematic for Oklahoma State. Um I, I do think, Carson, and we'll get to our predictions later, I, I do think this is a game Oklahoma State probably wins, but it is a game that I'm a little bit concerned about because there are some veteran players on offense for South Alabama, including this sixth-year quarterback who 100% has the reins. It's his second year in the system. Uh, he knows what he's doing. So I, I do think this is a game Oklahoma State probably wins, but I am worried that South Alabama could jump on top early, and that could really throw a wrench in the tire for the Cowboys. Well, when you just take a step back and look at the previous two weeks, I mean, Oklahoma State won. They won by double digits. Uh, I still think despite that, there's a lot of reason for concern here. Um, South Alabama is not a world beater, but you've seen many teams over the last two, three years from the Sun Belt beat Power 5 schools. I referenced it a few pods ago. Matt Campbell and Iowa State going down to Louisiana at home. Uh, Marshall beating Notre Dame last year. Uh, the Sun Belt's kind of become the the new disruptor in in Power Five college football, and I think more than anything, Colby, you're seeing. You know, you know, I've talked so much about the disparity between the Georgias and Alabamas and the rest of the country. I think that gap has only widened the last couple of years. Uh, teams like Oklahoma State, I think, are more vulnerable than they've ever been before. So I'm I'm on red alert for this game. I, I still we'll get to our picks as you mentioned, but I think there's a lot of pause for concern, and I think. One of the more mystifying things, we, we've talked so much about the quarterbacks and we got plenty of Twitter questions about that. I think we can address that there. But the fact that Oklahoma State has run the ball so much better in the second half versus the first half, uh, there's two ways to look at that. They've made really good adjustments or they just strictly haven't run their playbook until they absolutely needed to in the second half. But they're averaging 4.2 yards a carry after two games. That's right between the four to four and a half yard average that Mike Gundy references as kind of the barometer for where they're at running the football. But there's so many question marks coming in this game, Colby, and I think chief among them is can they run the football consistently for two halves instead of just the second half? Yeah, that's a big question mark, and I don't know what the answer is. Let me ask you this. Because I'm curious as to how they rotate the running backs through. You know, Ollie has not gotten a lot of run early in the games so far. I don't know what it's going to look like this game. My guess, we haven't had a Gundy first quarter. We haven't had a Bowman fourth quarter. So I think it's going to be a Gundy first quarter and a Bowman fourth quarter with Rangel in the middle. Is that is that kind of what you're thinking? And do you think that that, do you think the running back rotation changes at all as we see the quarterback rotation continue to change? Well, is there a correlation between the running backs and quarterbacks? I haven't charted it. I don't know that there's a correlation. I, I feel like I kind of noticed that, you know, the first game, obviously, it was obvious. Ollie started running when Gunner came in. Yeah. La last week, uh, I thought Ollie got his most run in the third quarter when Gunner was in there. So I don't know if there's an, an Ollie Gunner correlation or not. Uh, I don't know if that's going to continue this weekend. Again, it's not something I've charted, it's just something that I noticed watching the games. Yeah, I think. They kind of go hand in hand. I I think it's pretty obvious at this point that they're going to switch the quarterback rotation to keep that revolving door going to where Gunner's going to start. Then it'll be Rangel, and then it'll be Bowman. And I think it would be so frustrating and really shine a light on how hard this is to judge the quarterbacks if Colby they have so much success running the football in the first half and none in the second half this game because that and all the Twitter questions we've we've gotten. A lot of them center around Alan Bowman and not having a running game when he's in there. So I'm very curious to see if the same trend continues with the running game with the two different quarterbacks in there instead of Alan Bowman versus what's occurred the first two games. So I, that's what I expect. I think it's going to be Gundy, Rangel, then Bowman. 
And maybe that'll be the opportunity that Bowman finally has to have some semblance of a running game. Cause I, I do not think it's fair at all to judge him after the drops that he had. And especially considering he's run a completely different offense than the other two, there's been no running game to speak of. So that's what I expect. What do you expect? Yeah. It's really been wild. How little run support Alan Bowman has gotten. And if he gets it this game. Maybe he could separate himself. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not ready to declare that he is the best one. He, here's how I know. Um, you know, last week I said I wanted to take a strong stance on the quarterbacks, but I couldn't. Carson, after game one and after game two, I was able to go in my mentions on Twitter and find different individuals. One who was absolutely certain that Alan Bowman should start every game for the rest of the season. One who was absolutely certain that it should be Gunner, And another who was absolutely certain that it should be Rangel. That's how just divided we all are and how little we know about these quarterbacks. Um, I think it'll be, I think it'll be Gundy early, Rangel in the middle, Bowman late. And I don't know, I think maybe they're saving Ollie for later in the game because they know that's when their offensive line is going to be able to really lean on some of these um, smaller opponents that don't have the depth and don't have quite the physicality that maybe you're going to see later on into conference play. So I think maybe there is some strategy to not wearing Ollie down by giving him tons of carries early in the game uh, whenever the defense is fresh. Wait for the defense to get tired and then let Ollie go out there and really go to work. So I think that we will see something similar and I, I think that we'll probably be frustrated in the first half with the lack of Ollie and then in the second half he might get out there and explode. So um, that's kind of been the script so far. I would expect that to continue because I think they've been a little more consistent in how they've used their running backs than how they've used their quarterbacks. Yeah, and I, I've never been of the opinion that you can coach scared. Like, you can't play scared of fear of getting hurt. And I don't think you can fear the same way as a coach. You can't fear your best players getting hurt. You just play your best players, and if they do, you put in the next best guy. But I do think, Colby, the the amount of injuries they had last year and really that they've had a number of years at Oklahoma State, they've been really snake-bitten at the quarterback position and and, and really across the way. I do wonder if all of this rotating, especially with the running backs, most importantly, is kind of a, a residual effect from last year. Maybe that's affected Mike where he's reevaluated the fact that they were so banged up at the end of the year last year, he's gone to more rotations. And I think it's important to consider that, you know, their bye week comes pretty early and they got to play what eight straight weeks without one. So as, as frustrated as I am with, the lack of touches for Ollie, the lack of playing your best guys majority of the time. I can certainly understand if that's Mike's thinking where he's coming from, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, like you said, as Snake Ben as Oklahoma State has been, some other programs, maybe it hasn't been as big of an issue. I'm sure every program deals with injuries and we're just more in tune with Oklahoma State. But it certainly does seem like Oklahoma State has been Snake Ben with the injury bug. And it was so bad last year that you could see – I don't necessarily want to call it an overreaction because that makes it sound like, you know, you're, you're coaching emotionally instead of rationally. I, I just think it is a reaction, right? I think part of it is transfer portal. Part of it is injuries. Uh, you let more guys play, feel like they're in competition for the job. Maybe they stick around a little bit longer. I also don't know if maybe that backfires in the other sense where a guy's like, well, if I'm always just going to be part of a committee here and never have a chance to really be a star, how's that going to get me to the next level? I think there's a little bit of that. And then on the injury front, yeah, I, I think that you want to go into October as healthy as possible, which Oklahoma State has not done recently. November has been even worse. So if you can have a running back who has, I don't know, let's call it 60 less touches, Going into November, maybe that guy's a little more fresh down the stretch. So I think after last season, that that definitely could be playing a little bit of a factor with the coaches as they try to be healthier later in the season when those games start to matter more and more in conference play. Well, and I I distinctly remember, you know, we talk, you know, the running back rotation right now seems pretty open. And I remember you and I talking before that, you know, infamous night game at Boise State when Jalen Warren really burst onto the scene and now he's playing at a high level in the NFL. Uh, I'd certainly remember us not knowing who that was going to be. So maybe someone will emerge and take the reins. And I think we all expect that to be Ollie Gordon, but I, I did want to bring up Elijah Collins. I don't want to get too far out over my skis, but I've been very impressed by him. Uh, he gives me a little, you know, I mentioned Ray Taylor. I don't know where I pulled that comparison <laughs> out of my OSU brain. But he's a little Jalen Warren-esque, too, that he's low to the ground. He's he's built like a bowling ball. And 
I would like to see him get more carries as well. Him and I think him and Ollie Gordon, Colby. I guess what I'm the point I'm trying to make here is I, I could see by the end of the year if they're both healthy, those two being one of the better running back tandems in the Big Twelve. And I know that's that seems crazy right now with how poorly OSU is running the football. But if they implement the schemes that have worked in the second half and get those two the football, I think they can be pretty potent on the ground. Yeah, and everybody talks about, you know, the quarterbacks when they've been around forever. A lot less talk about running backs who've been around forever. This is the sixth year for Elijah Collins playing collegiate football. Back in 2019, when he was a sophomore at Michigan State, he rushed for nearly 1,000 yards. He was at 988 that season. He had five touchdowns that year. He had six touchdowns last year at Oklahoma, uh, pardon me, at Michigan State. Uh, He only got to triple-digit carries in one season at Michigan State, and that was back in 2019. Kenneth Walker came in, and he lost uh, some of his touches there. I, I think he's looked good. Um, he's got the size. He's six foot 220 is what he's listed as. He's got the size to kind of be that guy to come in um, and run people over. And as you start to lean on teams in the second half, and that seems to be what Oklahoma State has done, I, I know it's been just a, a brutal struggle in the first half, and that's tough to watch. But Oklahoma State has had some success on the ground in the second half. You want to see more Ollie? But I think Elijah can fit in there too. So it's a matter of how balanced are you willing to be offensively? Um, how much are you willing to lean on the run? And also just how many plays, how many snaps is your offense taking? Because, I mean, back in the day, Oklahoma State, you know, if you're running 90 or 100 plays in a game, that's very different than running 60 plays in a game. There's just far fewer touches to go around. So I think the more productive the offense can be as a whole, the more touches we can get to all these backs. You know, we can get Elijah Collins. Elijah Collins, the amount of touches that he needs to be productive and Ollie and Brennan Presley and Stribling and all these guys who need these touches, the offense itself has to function better for each of these guys to perform better as individuals because they'll all just get more opportunities. So, uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. I think that's what we have to see with the Oklahoma State offense because if the offense continues to sputter, have three and outs here and there, not enough time of possession, you're just not running enough plays for all your playmakers to get the necessary amount of touches. Uh, so hopefully we see that moving forward where the offense just stays on the field more and some of these guys can show, showcase their talent a little more often than just, you know, four, five, six touches a game. Yeah, no, I I, I certainly agree. I, I just – I think OSU, if, again, this is – massive all caps if if they can find a semblance of a running game i just think they're really talented back there to where i think you know ollie can reach his full form and i think collins is going to surprise a lot of teams in the big 12 i really do uh i mean i meant to mention him in more depth last podcast but i wanted to i wanted to touch on that as well uh but i think colby too like i think this team so far through you know two games They've been led by the defense. Um, OSU still hasn't scored 30 points, which we're going we're gonna to keep mentioning until they do since Texas game last year. Um, so defensively, Colby, it, it's the results are there. Uh, the shutdown in the second half against Arizona State was was fantastic. But when you take a step back and look at the statistics, they're one of the worst tackling teams in the Big 12. And they obviously shored that up as the game against Arizona State wore on. But does the tackling concern you so far? Is that another effort in order to keep guys healthy where it's been somewhat detrimental to the team? Uh, I would say it's a five out of 10 concern. It's, it's not something I'm pressing the panic button on because again, Mike Gundy talked about that getting better as you go throughout the season, because you don't want to get guys hurt in fall camp. I, I get that. The tackling has been okay. The first couple of weeks, but overall I think the defense has played really well. Uh, and that second half last week at Arizona State showed me something. They tackled really well there in the second half when they were just really forcing Arizona State to run the ball. Uh, pardon me, to, to throw the ball. Oklahoma State was packing the box. You're not going to run it on us. A uh, little scatabo. We're not going to let him scatabo all the way down the field. You're <laughs> going to have to throw it. And Arizona State couldn't do it. So I think the tackling, it could be better. It's certainly not Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper, Trey Sterling, and those guys out there. These are some young guys. Um They're going to have to sure that up. I'm not totally worried about that this week, probably even next week. I'll be more worried about that later in the season. There are some teams on Oklahoma State's schedule that we maybe thought were going to be a little bit easier than now they they look like they will be. Cincinnati, uh, UCF. There are some teams late in Oklahoma State's schedule that look like they can really score some points. Uh, You know, Kansas State always finds ways to get guys in space, and they've always got some people who can run around you, who can run through you. So that's going to be more of a concern for me if they don't get it shored up after the bye week. 
But right now, this week and next against South Alabama and, and Iowa State, that's not a huge concern for me. So I think I'm kind of right in the middle on the tackling. Yeah, I, for me, I, I was far more pleased that, you know, all those missed tackles, the guys like read the play beautifully. They were in great positions to make tackles for the most part. Uh, whereas, you know, some of the more frustrating defenses of Oklahoma State's past, they're not even in the vicinity or knowing where the football is. You know, they're completely out of position. So I, I would take that and take – and they obviously got it corrected in the second half. So I think the second half for me really calmed any major concerns. So I'd probably be even less than you. I'd probably be about a three or four just because that's going to happen sometimes in open space. And I, I think it'll – more oftentimes than not, they'll make the tackle than miss it with regularity like they have. So – but maybe I'll be proven wrong in South Alabama and I'll look silly. We'll see. Uh, South Alabama, Colby, do you know where they finished in total defense uh, last year? Oh, I don't have in a the nation. Uh, the fact that you're asking me makes me think it's better than I would maybe think. 26th in the Ooh. country. Okay. How about, uh, how about against the run, against Oklahoma State's vaunted running offense? How, how good do you think they were last year? The fact that you're asking means it's better than I think. 18th? I don't know. Fifth. Oh, boy. So, I don't think Gunnar Gundy's going to have a whole lot of success <laughs> running the football early in the game. They're going to have to make some adjustments at halftime is kind of how I see this. Now, that being said, you know, Tulane and uh, who else did they play? Louisiana, Southeast Louisiana combined to hit 77% through the air. So, that's something I think obviously Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy and company are going to see on tape and be like, you know what, maybe we come out throwing yet again like they did against Arizona state. But I found that interesting Colby that, you know, Mike Gundy said it, he said they're the most physical team they've, they will have played uh, last year. They held up very well nationally. I just listed the st statistics there. So it's a, it's a huge challenge for Oklahoma state, at least on the offensive side of the football. Now I think the defense can certainly have their way with South Alabama, but this game Colby, it's, it's definitely a game Oklahoma state can lose. Uh, so with that, Let's get to our, our predictions. How do you see this game playing out? And what will your final score be? Yeah, I think that this is going to be just kind of another slugfest. I, I think that that's where we're at right now with this team. I think that they're trying to find themselves and find their identity offensively. They want to run the ball. They struggle early in the game. Uh, maybe you just kind of air it out, try to wear down the defense, use the pass to set up the run. Maybe that's what this team is going to have to be. The pass blocking has been okay. Not not great, but it's been okay. Certainly a lot better, I think, than the run blocking. Um, I think that you need to come out and air it out early, and I think that's what Oklahoma State is going to do i i don't see this being a shootout really on either side um i think it's going to be slow going i think it's going to be close at halftime i think oklahoma state is just going to be just um you know just a, a, a hair above south alabama pretty much throughout but i do think it's going to be close i think that there are going to be some nerves in boone Pickens stadium i think oklahoma state walks out three and oh uh, but I don't think it is without some stress. I'm going to pick Oklahoma State to win this game 23-20 to 20 over South Alabama. Um, getting out of conference play undefeated would be good, but I, I just very much still think that this team is trying to find itself. Um, you, you lean on that culture. You lean on the program, everything that you've built. Uh, the three quarterbacks that have been doing a good job in the rotation, good enough to get wins. Go get another win. Continue to try to find yourself. Um, win these next two and then really try to um, solidify your identity in the bye week and come out for game five and beyond knowing who you are uh, with a little more success. So 23 to 20 Oklahoma State is my prediction. You're picking Oklahoma State by three points against South Alabama. How, how does that make you feel about the rest of the year? I, I mean, that's not far off from what the line is. Oklahoma State's a seven point favorite. So if I'd picked them to win 27 to 20, I'd be right where Vegas is. That's pretty much the, the total as well. The over under in this game is 48 and a half. So uh, Vegas is telling you it's going to be about 28 to 21. I, I no, think no, that's no. I'm, right I'm not, I'm not sliding you. I mean, I think Vegas, Vegas too is telling us that, uh oh. <laughs> I mean, as much respect as I have for South Alabama. They are South Alabama. Uh, that's a little, that's a little concerning moving forward. I think that I think Vegas and you and I are trying to tell people that Oklahoma State has to really figure out who they're going to play at quarterback, and they have to figure out how to run the football, or they're not going to be very good this year. And right now, through two games, they've done neither. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I'm still holding out hope. Uh, maybe it's the alum in me. Maybe it's the the fan in me. I don't know. I'm still holding out hope 
that Oklahoma State does find an identity after the bye week because without an identity, you just it, – it looks random. It looks chaotic. It, it doesn't look like there's any rhythm to it. I, I hope that that identity comes. Um, that That's where I'm at going into conference play. I think right now this team is still searching, and when you search, I think you're going to be in close games. So, uh, again, like I said last week, or maybe it was, on the post, it was on the post game for Arizona State, I still think that this team can win some games but they're going to have to win close. This team's not running away from anybody. I think that goes for the non-con. I think that that's going to be the same in conference play. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to have to win close ones, and I think this will be one of those. Yeah, I mean, you got to like your chances in a close game with with Mike Gundy at the helm. His record is outstanding in, in close games. And for me, I just – I don't think much is going to change from the first two weeks. I think they're going to be rough offensively. Uh will struggle to run the football. Um, and I just, I don't see this game playing out much differently really than the last two weeks. I just, I've, I've played it out and that's South Alabama's a decent football team. Certainly, certainly capable of beating Oklahoma state. They really are in Oklahoma state's current form. But I just, part of me still thinks that they're just, they've been withholding for the last two weeks, they've been treating this like a preseason and, and maybe that's the right way to go, but I'm, I'm just the opposite opinion. I'm saying if I'm Mike Gundy, I'm Oklahoma state, I'm a power five school in the big 12. I'm here to kick your tail and I'm not going to hold anything back. You know, if we had to draw up new plays for Iowa state, we do it. That's, that's part of being a football coach, but I think there's too much inconsistency. I do not like the three quarterback rotation. I we saw it against Arizona State. As soon as one gets any sort of rhythm, they get yanked. I have not liked the running game to this point. Now, this is where I think maybe they go back to more what they've done in the second half throughout the game and maybe don't take as long to get the running game going. I like the defense. But they their offense, Colby, is just not good enough to blow people off the field anymore. We have too long of a runway, too much evidence to suggest anything otherwise. So I, I do think Oklahoma State wins this game. I'm going to go – they've scored 27 back-to-back weeks, Colby. I'm going to go 27 again. I'm going to go 27 to 20. Oklahoma State pushes on the number. If you get seven, seven and a half, they don't cover. And I think we all walk away from this game kind of like we have the last two, Colby, like frustrated with a win. And if there's any way I can describe Mike Gundy's coaching tenure <laughs> since really, you know – before the Fiesta Bowl with Spencer Sanders, I would say since the Fiesta Bowl with Whedon and Blackman, that's kind of been the case, right? Hasn't been pretty. Hasn't been that explosive offensively. Mike's made some conservative decisions along the way, and normally it works out and they win the football game, and we're all complaining about a win. So I think it's another complaining about a win game, and Oklahoma State beats South Alabama by seven. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things – Yes, whenever you look at the schedule in the summer and you see South Alabama on it, it's like, okay, let's go in there and route them, 48 to 17. It's just not where this team is at right now. Um, And until they find it, until they figure it out, I can't pick them to go out there and route somebody. I would love for that to happen. I would love for us to come in here um, Sunday, Monday, whenever we're able to get together and recap this thing and just talk about an absolute beatdown. I don't think that's going to be the case. And again, I, I read the predictions on pistolsfiring.com. A um, couple have Oklahoma State scoring in the 30s. I can't get there until I see them do it. it it's just been a while, man. And and I want to see it. That's, that's a benchmark right now. That is a benchmark for the Oklahoma State offense. Um, if they hit that 30-point mark, I'll be very happy. Neither of us predicted it, but look, that's not – it's not a crazy thought to think that Oklahoma State could get to 30. So could they win this game 38-24? Yeah, I think they could. Um, and if they do, then I, I think that there will be less complaining from me than you've heard the past couple of weeks. Yep, I'm with you. So it'll be interesting Saturday night in Stillwater. Uh, I do think they get a boost playing back in Stillwater, Colby. I Maybe that's just – I don't know, recency bias, OSU bias, but it just feels like they they run smoother off it. Don't don't you feel this way, Colby? Like when they're on the road, like they just everything tightens up, the play calling tightens up. It just feels like they play a little looser at home. Maybe that's just my old faded memory that I have, but that's that's kind of the first thing that springs to mind if you're looking for more points than twenty seven. Yeah, I I don't know if that's perception reality but i kind of feel that way too i think that this this team is better at home uh 
more free at home, I would say. I think yeah. you're kind of alluding to that. A little, little bit more free when they're at Boone Pickens Stadium. Yep, I would agree with that. So it's time for Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Colby, a myriad of options uh, going home. What are you going with for your uniform prediction? Well, it's not going to be a million degrees, so I think that it is time to break out the black jerseys. I think they're going to go white, black, white. I debated between cursive or the brand on the helmet. Uh, I saw on Twitter earlier this week that the last couple times they've played South Alabama, they've won the badge. There is no more badge. So I think Oklahoma State is going to rock the brand this week. So I'm going to go white helmets with the brand, black shirts, white pants. So you're going brand, white, black, white. Is that right? White, black, white. Yes, with the brand. Yeah, I I struggled with this one. I really did. Because you don't want to use one of like the, the tried and true best looks against South Alabama. And they've they've rarely gone tricolor at home. I mean, I I can hardly remember them going tricolor at home. It's normally you know, head to toe one color or just the, the Jersey and pants match. I think they go tricolor this time. And I think it might be of the white, orange, black variety. Uh, I personally would prefer to see black, orange, white, which looks so good. They've done that one before, but I don't think they've ever done white, orange, black, which would be a, a new, certainly unique look for Oklahoma state. I'll go, with the uh, the brand helmet as well, so I'm gonna go off the board here. This is a this is a panic decision, Colby, because I was so stumped as to what to pick. But you, I think you'll probably be closer than I. But that's what I'm going with. I think I think the tricolor is very underutilized at home. We haven't seen that a whole lot. Yeah, not a ton of tricolor. Where do, where do you fall on the tricolor? I I don't know. I think it's a little bit too much. I like two colors or just one head to toe look. The all blacks, the all oranges, the all whites. I think tricolor is probably my least favorite. See, I've changed my tune on it over the years. I used to be like you. I used to like, you know, the one-two-one combo or the one-one-two, where you know there's more matching. But my favorite uniform they have is is black, white, orange, <laughs> the Iowa State look that was like cursed for so many years until Tyreek Hill lifted the curse. And I think that look kind of changed my tune on it. So I'm I'm way more open to it than I ever was before. Yeah, and that's probably what they're wearing next week, though, right? In Ames? So you think they're going to try color back-to-back? I think they should, and I think it's way more applicable now on the road to do tri-color since the, the numbers, they can match with any pants. I think that's been the one deterrent yeah. for them on the road is the pants didn't match. Now they can do that. So I think we're going to see it a lot more on the road especially, but I, I think we might see it at home this week. Yeah, I don't dislike the tricolor. We're splitting hairs between a bunch of good looks. I think it's just probably my least favorite of the three because it's a little busier, and I like the more kind of simple, clean. Uh, I still like the tricolor. It just doesn't hold up to the others quite for me. Yeah. I can certainly understand that. All right, you ready for uh, some Twitter questions? Absolutely. Love the Twitter questions. Well, a lot of them revolved around, as you can imagine, the quarterback position. Uh, Our good friend, Todd Lisenby. Uh, now with, um, what is it, sellout crowd? Yep, Todd says, is there a fourth quarterback we could see on Saturday? And he's actually not the first person to ask me this. There was another Twitter question. Uh, I believe it, maybe it was on the last round. It was like, why don't you just play them all a quarter and play Flores for a quarter? Uh, I, I <laughs> At this point, Colby, I wouldn't hate it. I, show me all the options. Don't, don't leave any card o- o- unturned, you know? Yeah, is this uh, so? You're proposing the the four quarterback system again? That's what's being proposed here. I'm not, but people are asking if it's possible. Why can I not find our Twitter questions? Um, no, I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible. I think your trio is what you've got, and that's what they're moving forward with until they decide on one. Uh, I tweeted it out today at nine a.m. If that helps you, so you can yep, go there. I just found it. I was I just found it. Um, and we had. We've been getting several – it's important to note this, too. We've been getting many questions about Spotify over the last few weeks, and I think it has been resolved. Marshall's been working really hard on that. I think there's some sort of technical issue that goes way above our heads, but I think Marshall has gotten that resolved. And I've I've since pulled it up on Spotify, and our, our latest podcast is on there. So if Spotify's how you listen, it should be resolved. If not, send us a tweet, and we'll, we'll certainly look into it. But um, 
let's see here. And this is a this is a really good question from Jacob Sturm. He says, would it have benefited the quarterback room to give each guy a full game before doing rotations? For instance, Rangel, all of Central Arkansas, Bowman, all of ASU, Gundy, all of South Alabama. I found that question fascinating, Colby, and one I hadn't really considered yet. Um, I think that would blow our minds as soon as we see, you know, in, in game two, Bowman taking the snaps instead of Rangel. But I think that gives you way more of a sample size. But I also think, too, Colby, you're going to start comparing opponents and be like, ah, you just throw out the positives for each or the negatives for each based on who they were playing. Yeah, I think that that just kind of lends you toward whatever your bias was going in because you're going to play the opponent game, right? Um, and also, it would be really weird. What if they did that? What if Rangel came out in week one and just second half torched them and they scored 45 points and it's like, well, week two goes the other guy. That would be weird. So then you're putting yourself in a situation as a coach where if that's what you've promised your quarterbacks you're going to do and then one of them absolutely lights it up, then you, I mean, you still pull that guy, I guess, and run somebody else out for Arizona State. And then what if things go poorly? Do you go back to the week one guy? Because then you're kind of saying, okay, this is our guy. And then week three, do you put the other guy in? So I, I understand the logic there and I don't hate it, but I think it does get a little bit convoluted uh, depending on the results in game one and game two before you get to whoever's starting in game three. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I do think it would give you more of a sample size, but again, I they had all of spring ball, all fall camp. I mean, pick a guy. That's that's kind of where I'm at. I just I throw my hands up and say I don't know who the best quarterback is. Although I, if I had to pick, I'd still go with Bowman. Uh, and I kind of referenced this earlier. This is from Raised on Washington Street. Why does Gundy refuse to run the ball when Bowman is in? I feel like he was given more freedom and complicated plays than the other two quarterbacks. He would be substantially better with a healthy dose of Ollie Gordon while he's in. And you you kind of referenced that too, Colby. And I don't know. I mean, that's what makes this so tough, right? On a four-series basis per quarterback, it's just – it's hard to judge. And maybe that's what the defense was showing them. I'm not, I'm not sure. But I think Bowman is the best quarterback. That's who I would go with. He has the experience too when you get to Big 12 play. And we haven't seen him with a fully formed running game. And I think his last series against Arizona State, I think is arguably the best the offense has looked uh, so far this year. They ran the football, scored a touchdown. Uh, certainly Rangel lit it up there the last series with the touchdown to Brennan Presley. But uh, I, I still think Bowman's the best guy. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing if they have a running game with him. Yeah, I'm not ready to declare a best guy right now. I would probably lean Rangel Bowman Gundy, but not not strong, like a 1A, 1B with Gundy just on the outside looking in, you know, show me something, like really impress me this weekend. Um, yeah, Bowman needs more running game. I, I, I think he's going to be the fourth quarter quarterback this week. And if he is, I hope that we see the same rushing production we saw in the first two weeks so that we can kind of get an apples-to-apples apples comparison of these guys playing at different parts of the game. Because I don't know. We keep talking about the bye week coming after Iowa State. Maybe the plan was, okay, you each get a first quarter. You each get to play in the middle. You each get a fourth quarter. We're going to do that the first three games. And then as coaches, we're going to go evaluate and decide. We, we don't know what they're going to do. Um, but I think that this is a big weekend for all three quarterbacks. And I hope that Bowman does get that run support late that we saw the other two get in weeks one and weeks two. Um, so that we can really kind of try to evaluate these guys. Because I'm having a hard time declaring any of the three uh, significantly better than any of the others at the moment. Yep, I agree. Great question here from Michael Heckner. Which is greater, OSU's touchdowns versus South Alabama or Victor Hovland's Ryder Cup points scored at Marco Simone? Now, the most you can probably score, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, golf expert, but five points probably the most. You only get sent out, what, five times? Yep, five is the most. There's two sessions Friday, two sessions Saturday, singles on Sunday. And, Carson, uh, as we move forward, I got an email in my inbox just this week. It's actually pronounced Marco Simone, which I think is very weird. I've been pronouncing it Simone for a long time now, and now I'm, I'm being told via this pronunciation email for the Ryder Cup, Marco Simone Golf Club, which sounds, sounds <laughs> off. It does not sound as prestigious as Marco Simone. Sounds very American trying to talk foreign language when you say Simone. It does. <laughs> sounds it very sounds, Oklahoman. It sounds like someone with my exact accent saying it wrong. But I have an email 
telling me Marco Simone is how we need to pronounce it. That's going to like play tricks on you when you say it, for sure. Yes. Uh, well, so again, the maximum Victor can score is five. I don't think he's doing that. Uh, I don't think Oklahoma State's scoring five touchdowns. So this is a great question. Victor needs to do better at this year's Ryder Cup. Did not play well at the last. Uh, I'm, I obviously want the United States to win, but more than anything, I want to see Ricky Fowler do well, and I want to see Victor Hovland do well and, and have winning records. But I think probably the best case scenario is he, he gets four, and that would you know tie Oklahoma State. Uh, so I would have to pick Oklahoma State here, Colby. I think it's a safer bet. I'll go with Oklahoma State touchdowns over Victor for that reason. Yeah, I that's the way I would lean, just that question in a vacuum. But then I look at my score prediction. I've got Oklahoma State scoring 23. That's two touchdowns and three field goals. I think Victor Hovland scores more than two points. Um, good Victor Hovland interview on the 73rd hole. Mild podcast. Uh, Sam Humphreys talked to him last week. Great interview. He talked about how his golf ball in the FedEx Cup playoffs when he won back-to-back weeks at the BMW Championship and the Tour Championship. He just he, he didn't have a lot of confidence in his golf ball because it wasn't spinning enough. All of his irons were going 10 yards too far, so he was just adjusting on the fly. He talked about how at the last Ryder Cup, he didn't like his short game. He didn't like his chipping. He didn't like his putting. He feels much more confident in those areas now. I think Victor Hovland is going to score four points at this year's Ryder Cup, and I don't think Oklahoma State is going to score four touchdowns tomorrow night, so I will give the nod to Victor Hovland. Good question. Great question. How about this one from Nick Chabot? Chabot? I don't know if that's like Simone and Simone, but uh, Nick, Nick Chabot? What'd you say? Chaboti. Chaboti. There's no E on the end. Oh, no. There's a Simone joke. All right. Oh, I got you. Sorry about that. Uh, If you were the head coach, Colby, and you could change one thing immediately tomorrow, just one in all caps, what he said, what would it be and why? Wow. That is uh, macro, putting me on the spot. Change one thing, what would it be and why? Um, I would probably do everything I could to just allocate more money in the budget to recruiting whether that's NIL, whether that's planes, whether, I, I don't know where exactly that money goes in, in the, the breakdown of the recruiting budget, but that would probably be my number one is to make sure that more of the program's money was allocated to recruiting. Man, that's way more macro than I was going. I think that's probably the right answer. I think that's the one thing that's held Oklahoma State from getting to more Big 12 championships is, is recruiting. So that's a great one. I, I'd probably hire a new offensive coordinator. That's just me. Um, but I say that, and I I feel harsh in saying that because I do think Mike Gundy has his thumb on this offense. So they kind of go hand-in-hand hand with that, uh, being the head coach. So that's, that's where my mind goes. Um, I also would have paid Jim Knowles whatever he was asking for. I wouldn't have tried to come under that. I would have gone over the top against Ohio State. But uh, that's that's ancient history. So I'd probably hire a new offensive coordinator. That's probably yeah. my answer. Yeah, I think that's a good answer, too. Good question. These are some good questions. Y'all are making us think. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, in your opinion, this is from Mbop with an H on the front. He says, in your opinion, what does Gundy need to see from a quarterback in order to go with him? That's a great question, Colby, because I don't know the answer. But if I had to guess... I would say they've been really close in practice. And I think he's probably looking for one particular thing. And I think it's, I I say one, it's probably two. One, who do the guys gravitate towards? And two, who makes the correct read and doesn't throw it in harm's way? Uh, I think that's the number one thing physically Gundy looks for. I mean, we've heard his, the quotes over the years, uh, throw it sideways and hand the ball off. I think he he's definitely afraid of the offense losing the football game. I think that's the old quarterback in him. He doesn't want to do that. And I think we've seen that in the games, Colby. Oklahoma State has only thrown six passes more than 20 yards this year through two games. Six. How many times did we watch James Washington catch 70-yard touchdowns you know that that used to be the focal point of Oklahoma State's offense and now you don't have an experienced quarterback to do so but I do think they need to be far more aggressive throwing the football down the field when they do 
I think it's going to be the guy that they've picked. I, I don't think they're going to do it, Colby, until they pick the guy. Yeah, I don't think they are either. As far as what he needs to see, I think he wants to see a guy who can be a playmaker, who can do things whenever it breaks down up front, because I don't think that Mike Gundy has long-term trust in his offensive line to go out and move people around week to week and give his quarterback a lot of time. So I think he wants to see a quarterback who can either create more time for himself or make quick decisions and get the ball out quickly without turning it over. You cannot turn the ball over. That's how you get beat. Um, just because it's on my mind, I watched it last night, Minnesota Vikings. You turn the ball over four times, you lose the game by six points. That's it, It's in the margins, right? So I think Mike Gundy is looking for a guy who can give himself more time, get the ball out quickly, make quick decisions without turning it over. I don't think he's looking for some crazy playmaker. Uh, I don't think he's looking for, you know, Spencer Sanders in the Bedlam game or the Fiesta Bowl, something like that. Like, I don't know that that guy's on this roster, but if you can do enough to give yourself time and get the ball in your playmaker's hands without turning it over, I think that's what Mike Gundy's looking for. Yeah, I would agree. This, this one has my head spinning a little bit. From Evan McDaniel, if you had to play three quarterbacks – game of thirds, like they're doing all year long. What previous Cowboy football quarterback room are you picking? Whoa, good question. What Cowboy quarterback room am I picking? You uh, know, what comes to mind is, you know, Chelf, Walsh, I guess Lunt, throw him in there for the third. Uh, I think I have the pick, though, and I think I'm going to sway you a little bit. I think it has to be... 2009 when you had Zach and Whedon in the same room that's two of the best five quarterbacks they've ever played at OSU uh throw Alex Kate in there as the third wing I mean what although does Alex Kate deter you from picking that quarterback room because he completed zero passes in an entire half against Colorado and should have thrown about four picks let, let me throw this at you what about a quarterback room of Mason Rudolph J.W. Walsh and Dax Garman Ooh, that do anything talking. That do anything for you? That does a lot. I mean, Walsh and Rudolph, you can talk me into, and I think I think Garmin and Kate are very similar, though. I don't think that's the the last domino to fall there to to sway yeah, me. I think I would go. I would go Garmin over Kate. But if you've got Zach Robinson and Brandon Whedon in the same quarterback room, um, boy, I, I think you can give Alex Kate every first quarter or every fourth quarter. That team's going to win a lot of games. So I, I think I'm probably going to have to go with that 9 room. Uh, but the 14 room is is pretty solid as well. Yeah, I think that's that's the right call. You got you can't get away from from Whedon and Robinson in the same room. So I think that's I think that's the answer. Let's see here. Any more questions that stuck out to you? Oh, this is a great yeah. one from Aaron Yunt. I think we can get out on this one. That was mine. Go ahead. Okay. In honor of Justin Blackman being inducted into the Ring of Honor, what are your favorite plays slash moments in his Oklahoma State career? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Justin Blackman, by the way, having him back around the program is awesome. Love Justin Blackman. You and I both think best to ever do it at the collegiate level. Um, yeah, didn't work out for him in the next in the next you know at the NFL, but we all know he had some things going on, and he's a cowboy forever. Specific plays. Um, there was a play in the Stanford game in the Fiesta Bowl where he catches, I think it was just like a, a slant, maybe it was a little deeper up the field, maybe it was a post, and he just dusts everybody, takes it to the house. That was a really good one. Um, he had one in Bedlam that year, I think, where he just took it and outran everybody. I mean, there's several. There's a bunch. I mean, you want back-to-back Bolitnikovs. I'm having trouble on the spot coming up with individual plays. Carson, do you have any off the top of your head? Well, I'll mention some plays just for for context. The Kansas State, you know, game clincher over the middle where he leaves him in the dust. His speed was very underrated. That one comes to mind. The, the first real moment he had was in 2010 when Oklahoma State finally beat Texas. He had he caught that deep bomb kind of over his shoulder where he let he jumped up over the DB and kind of caught it near his shoulder pad to score. Yep. Uh, but but for me. It has to be the Fiesta Bowl. This was, this was the exclamation point to the best season I've ever seen from an individual player. I covered nearly every game that year. I watched Blackman up close and personal. I was down on the field for the Fiesta Bowl, shooting the game on behalf of Channel 5, KOCO. And that Stanford defense had NFL players littered throughout it. I mean, all over the field. They, that Stanford defense was awesome. And they, it was like, they couldn't even, 
cover him, let alone attempt to tackle him. The the I'm glad you mentioned the slant where he, I that's what the verbiage I would use. He left him in the dust, and then to show out how ra- how well rounded and how just sheer dominance he displayed was the touchdown he caught over the middle where this defensive back has a read on him. He's pretty much defenseless as he catches the touchdown pass. And this guy tries to absolutely basically target Justin Blackman as he's scoring the touchdown. You know what happens? This guy comes in head first, heat seeking missile. He hits Blackman and it's flattened to the ground. And Blackman looks like he didn't even feel anything and looks up to the crowd and starts celebrating that speed, that strength, that is the entire total package, and it's the best college football receiver in history for my money, and it's the best individual season I witnessed. I wasn't around for Barry Sanders. I was too young. That is that game right there for me, Colby. I realized as I was shooting the game, like, this guy is on a different level than I even thought he was because he had a great year the last two years. But you're playing in essentially what was a college football semifinal. And he was on a completely different playing field than everyone else. So for me, it's the Fiesta Bowl that sticks out. Yeah, I'm watching those highlights right now. There's another play in here against uh, Kansas State that same year where he caught a touchdown across the middle. Oklahoma State was uh, trailing 38 to 37. I referenced, I referenced that one. You don't listen okay, to yeah. me. Well, I must have been watching the play as you were talking about it. That was a great one. He catches the two-point conversion immediately after that, which ended up being important later in the game. He just, you know, we're, we're coming up with a few off the top of our head right now, but there were so many. Like, th- those times were so special. Um, and I, I, I so value the fact that I was a freshman at Oklahoma State during that 2011 season. That was just, it was an experience that not too many students in the history of Oklahoma state have ever gotten. Um, and I look back very fondly on those memories. Yep. It was fantastic. And he, despite what was going on with him personally in the NFL, he had receiving yard games of 236 yards, 190 yards and 136. And that's, he was dealing, I believe with like a hamstring or groin injury back then too. And still was just that much better on, on Sundays. Than, and and than he didn't have anybody throwing it to him. Tyreek last week, Carson, Tyreek had 215 receiving yards. He, he's he been talked about like a god amongst men all week. You just threw out a 236-yard uh, game for Blackman. He didn't have anybody throwing in the ball. He was unbelievable. Yeah, he was playing with the worst franchise in the NFL at the time, Jacksonville. I mean, 236 yards. That, that would lead every show uh, across any network nowadays. So, And that was, you know, 10... More than 10 years ago now. So I'm uh, happy to see him going in the ring of honor and it'll, it'll be a special time for him and everyone that, that knows Justin played with him and certainly everyone that watched him. So uh, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Don't believe so. Great stuff. Appreciate all the Twitter questions. Sorry. We couldn't get to all of them. Keep those coming every week. Uh, we'll be back to recap the game tomorrow against South Alabama. Hopefully Oklahoma state walks out of the non-con three and O as always go pokes. All right. Uh, My computer is frozen, but I think it's still recording. Oh, here we go.